Coming up next on The Voice of Alabama Politics, our special guest is Minority Leader of the House, Anthony Daniels. Also, APR's Chip Brownlee breaks down the COVID numbers. And Governor Kay Ivey passes her executive amendment. How did she do it? Don't see the light, we're on the heat. Great balls of fire. All this and much, much more coming up next on The V. tackle the tough issues so you have the hard facts. I'm your host, Bill Britt, and today I'm joined by Beth Clayton, Democratic strategist and attorney at law, and my life partner, Susan Britt. Hi, how are y'all doing? Doing great. How are you, Beth? I'm doing great. Coming at y'all live from my law office. Cool. We're coming to you live from outside of downtown beautiful Atala. <laughs> you know, it seems like a million years ago, but Monday, the state legislature finally passed the two budgets. And one of the biggest hurdles, Susan, was the Senate really wanted to, to control all the CARES Act fund, the nearly $1.8 billion that's designed to go to help restore and repair the ravages of COVID-19 pandemic. They wanted to spend it on other things and they wanted to keep the governor from having any say-so. How did that work out? It didn't work out real well. Uh, they What they were trying to do is use it for corrections, use it for a robotics park, use it, you know, just to, to basically do anything that didn't have to do with COVID-19. I mean, they sent some penance over for PPEs and things like that, which is just ridiculous. Um, but by the time it was all said and done, the, uh, the governor sent over an amendment to the an executive amendment to the budget. Uh, she was approached by the House to actually pass that, which pretty much put the Senate in the corner and made them have to do what was right and agree to spend the money the way it was intended to be spent. I mean, Beth, one of the most outrageous things that they wanted to spend money on was $200 million for a new state house. I mean, it's a part-time job. They're not that important. They don't need Taj Mahal, do they? No, they don't. And let's not forget, they just renovated the Senate, what, a couple of years ago? The Senate's right. beautiful right now. The paint's not even dry on it yet. But, you know, we shouldn't be surprised because it's the same thing they did with the BP money when they got that. The Gulf, to help the Gulf, it went to all kinds of pet projects. And, I mean, I'll applaud Governor Avi for stepping up and saying, no, we're going to use this money where it's intended to go. You know, there's one of my favorite uh, Ronald Reagan quotes was he said that uh, when they, you can't make them see the light, make them feel the heat. Well, she made them feel the heat, didn't she, Susan? She did, pretty much like Jerry Lee Lewis and Great Balls of Fire. I mean, she pretty much just sent fireballs raining all over the Senate. And they're still reeling from it and trying to backpedal. It was like Darius and 
Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> but, Beth, this is nothing unusual. We've seen these guys over the years mishandle money in ways it was never intended. But, I mean, there's real suffering in our communities right now. I mean, people don't have jobs. We have 12% unemployment. People don't have jobs. They don't have incomes. They don't have food. And, and they, they don't get it, do they? They don't. And part of it's because, you know, the people making these rules have never really had to, to struggle or know what it's like to try to make ends meet. And I know some of them have, but maybe they've forgotten what it's like. Um, but, you know, I think Governor Ivey is doing the right thing here by saying, all right, let's try to figure out how we can keep this out of our prisons. Let's try and figure out how we can help the faith-based organizations that know the communities the best and how to help their own communities. Um, so I think one of the things we see coming out of Montgomery is you get, you know, 200 people down there who think they know what's best for everybody in the state. And the truth is that community leaders know what's best. So I think part of Governor Ivey's plan that supports those folks is really the right path. Yeah. Yeah, Gal Marsh, for Pete's sake, owns his own island. How can he empathize with somebody who doesn't have a job? Yeah, not very good. And, and look, they went kicking and screaming out the door trying to, to defend the indefensible. And now they're threatening, believe it or not, they're threatening to uphold the prison funds mm -hmm. to build new prisons because they're mad at Governor Ivey. I mean, wah, wah, wah. This is the same group that last week wanted to take the CARES Act and spend it on prisons. Well, they wanted to buy a prison. They wanted yeah. to buy a prison. They wanted to give them $100 million here, $100 million there. Sooner or later, you got real money, right? Uh -huh. mm. Well, it's just amazing to me. Uh, let's look at some of the things that are in the new COVID-19, uh, the CARES Act. Uh, there's $250 million to reimburse local government, as you were saying, uh, up to $200 million to support and deliver health care and related services to the citizens of Alabama. I mean, how many people have lost their health insurance? We don't even know that, do we? No, and that's not counting the ones that didn't have to start with. Right, right. What's some of the other things on here? Uh, well, we've got $300 million to reimburse the state agencies, uh, uh, $53 million reimbursement of equipment of infrastructure, necessary for the remote work, $300 million for technology and infrastructure for remote instruction and learning. I mean, it's going to the right places. $200 million from the Department of Corrections to address the COVID-19 that we're not even sure how bad that situation yeah. is right I mean, now. They bet the prisons right now say they have one case of COVID-19. Out of 22,000 people, inmates, I mean, it's outrageous. That's impossible, they, right? They're only really reporting the, the workers. Yeah. Yeah. On the prisons. Yes. But I think. What if we did something crazy and use some of this money to expand Medicaid so that oh. people's health insurance isn't linked to their employment during this situation like this, but they could actually obtain the care they need, not just now, but in the future, too? Wouldn't this what have I told you about logic and politics? Oh, I forgot. Sorry, Susan. <laughs> well, and one of the things is they actually. They can use, like they're doing here, up to uh, three, uh, up to, what is it, 200 million, uh, 250 million to support healthcare delivery. Mm -hmm. They can't actually use it by federal statute or by the federal law. They cannot use it to expand Medicaid. But I know Senator Doug Jones and uh, Representative Terry Sewell are working on a package that would allow states like Alabama to expand. Mm -hmm expand Medicaid. And, and I think Senator Jones says it best. 
we now come to realize that our neighbors, our health is dependent on our neighbor's health. And I, I think that's a winning message for Doug Jones. I mean, it's a long shot, but it's a winning message. I think it is. And I think it's not just our health in terms of my health is dependent on you know, yours and Susan's health if I'm spending time around y'all. But also our health as a state is dependent on our neighbors, Georgia, Mississippi, Tennessee's health. So when you look at states that have taken advantage of Medicaid expansion and their neighboring states that haven't, that's going to start creating problems because you can't just, you know, draw the line and say, okay, the sickness doesn't travel over here to where health insurance isn't provided. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to learn a lot of lessons out of this. I hope the one lesson we all learn is that we are in this together. This is not Mm -hmm. something that's just for our neighbors. It's us too. Thank you, Beth, for joining us today. Thanks, Bill. Talk to y'all soon. All right. right. Hope we'll see you soon. You're watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. We'll be right back with our special guest, Anthony Daniels. guys do a little fishing of course none of us will be wearing our seat belts I'll lose control of the truck wrap it around a tree and kill us all okay drive safe Alabama a message from your Alabama Department of Transportation I'm John Merrill As your Secretary of State, my goal is to ensure that each and every eligible U.S. citizen that's a resident of Alabama is registered to vote and has a photo ID. If you're concerned about going to the polls on July the 14th, we want to encourage you to download an absentee ballot application at alabamavotes.gov or contact your local circuit clerk. Make sure you enclose a copy of your photo ID when you submit your application. We may not see you in person, but through absentee, we'll see you at the polls. Welcome back to The V, the voice of Alabama politics. Our special guest today is Anthony Daniels, Minority Leader of the House of Representatives. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Bill and Susan. You have done an admirable job by most assessments. I know that you have the confidence of your caucus. You also seem to have the confidence of the governor of Alabama. But in this last legislative session, your caucus took some criticism because the majority of the minority did not show up for the last couple of days. Can you explain to our viewers why y'all decided not to come down to the state house and work on this budget situation? Well, I would tell you, Bill, the, the criticism came from a, a certain uh, news site and a uh, an individual that kind of spoke out about the disappointment of us coming. However, uh, the same individual didn't 
praise us for saving the session in March when it was the Democrats that gave uh, provided the quorum for us to even have a legislative session. And so uh, I was very disappointed to see that. But I will tell you that our caucus position uh, has and, and will continue to be is that we have more questions than answers. Uh, how can you build a budget when your tax receipts that don't come in to July 15th? And in light of the pandemic, we don't know what our sales tax or our, our revenue is projected to be. And so we couldn't even we can't even establish a floor. And so who wants to budget blindly? And, you know, we later found out the real reason that uh, the legislatures and the leadership wanted to return to the legislative session, which is to purchase a uh, usurp the governor's power and purchase uh, pay two hundred million dollars for a new state house that we were not in agreement with and had no knowledge of. I mean, people around the state, both Democrat and Republican, mm -hmm. have just been outraged. Now, now Senator Dale Marsh and, and his gang have tried to walk that back, but they did put together a legitimate list that was turned over to the Department of Finance, and it listed, among other things, a $200 million State house. Now, our state house is old, but $200 million needs to go to the people of Alabama to rescue them and to repair the damage done by. I mean, how can not everyone be outraged, Anthony? Well, I, I've certainly received my share of emails as a result of seeing that the state, uh, the uh, leadership was, was sent a wish list uh, to that was on that wish list, as you indicated, a $200 million state house. And I responded to, to this individual that sent me this email in outrage and, and assured him that, look, this is a part of what we've been saying. Returning to the legislative session without actually understanding the revenue projection, uh, income tax receipts, or to be able to build a budget is just totally irresponsible. But we see right, we see now why uh, the legislature wanted to return. There's a few folk, few individuals that wanted to build themselves a Taj Mahal and spend money on their pet projects. And so we've seen that over and over again, and, and it's just really disappointing. Uh, and I'm glad that we weren't a part of that process uh, because we want to make certain that we're using the, the uh, tax dollars to, um, of, of the people of Alabama wisely. And the CARES Act is just exactly what it is. Those dollars are supposed to be taking care of the people that have been impacted by this, the men and women that have been impacted by this, uh, the coronavirus, this pandemic, and those small businesses. And so we want to put money ahead uh, to build and construct in the state house ahead of more testing, more contact tracing, uh, more opportunities for small businesses, and and more help for our schools and our healthcare infrastructure. It's just it's just it was appalling to me. And I think it was to most Alabamians who understand that that money was meant to help, not to give luxury mm. state house to or, those or folks. to fill holes here and there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I can't. Uh, Senator Marsh has gone on the radio, the Jeff Poor show, and said that members of the House uh, leadership knew about this wish list, this, this wanting to build a $200 million state house, and other things that had nothing to do with it, just all pork barrel spending. And, and he said that, that, that he basically said that the House leadership had lied, that they all knew about it. I mean, uh, we didn't have any indication that Speaker Mac McCutcheon knew about it until there was the, the email 
that the wish list was in had him CC'd on the email. So he had to know the list existed. Well, I would tell you that when they, when a lot of times when we talk about House leadership, I think that there needs to be some specificity on Republican House leadership because my caucus had, uh, wasn't invited to the table uh, to even have a discussion about what the CARES Act uh, dollars should be used for uh, when these decisions were being made. And so I just want to make certain that we are um, separating House leadership or and Republican leadership as about having these conversations because our, our caucus had you know no idea on what was going on. And I'm curious to know who actually knew about the list and who did not. How is it that Democrats represent at least 40 plus percent of the state, but you're never allowed a seat at the table? I mean, what is that? How is that good government? Well, I will tell you that uh, Governor Kay Ivey has uh, allowed Democrats a seat at the table. And so we certainly thank God for her leadership because she's certainly representing uh, the entire state of Alabama, not one party versus the other. Uh, no, we have not necessarily been at the table uh, when it came when it comes to the House leadership. I do think that our my colleague in the Senate has a better relationship with his Senate uh, counterpart um, when it comes to having decisions being made and being uh, inclusive. But no, I've just not. Our caucus has been on the table most of the time as the meal, and not necessarily. <laughs> Well, you know, every every uh, dog has his day, so that may turn out differently. I mean, do you speak with Speaker McCutcheon? I mean, you're the minority leader. Even Mike Hubbard met with the minority leader every week. Well, uh, uh, the last time I spoke with the Speaker was in April uh, when we were having a discussion about uh, returning to session, and, and I uh, informed him that I didn't feel that it was safe for us to return the session. Also, I had concerns about uh, a, a lot of our members with underlying health conditions, especially those that are of certain age, as well as those that may be younger that have underlying health conditions, and also about the budget process. Uh, why can't we wait until July after we've seen what our income tax receipts are going to be on July 15th? Because that's tax day. Uh, and also looking at a two to three month um, projection of when the governor opened the state back up seeing how our income, our sales tax numbers look at the end of each of those particular months. So looking at May and June numbers so that we're able to build a floor and, and be able to have better projections as to how we uh, how we're able to budget, um, because I, I expect us to be in a, uh, a special session at some point. And I just felt that, we you know, in previous years, uh, we've seen uh, budgets passing as late as September. And so I didn't understand the rush, but it was clear to me what the rush was after seeing that wish list uh, being revealed. Well, we want to thank you for your service to the state and thank you for joining us today. You're always welcome to come on the V and speak to our viewers. Thank you again. Thank you, Thanks and Susan, so for having me and what you do to educate and, and inform the citizens of this great state on what's really happening. And so thank you guys for investigative journalism and, and putting the facts out there. Thank you so much. Our special guest today has been Minority Leader Anthony Daniels. You're watching The V. We'll be right back with more news and opinion. I'm John Merrill. As your Secretary of State, my goal is to ensure that each and every eligible U.S. citizen that's a resident of Alabama is registered to vote and has a photo ID. 
If you're concerned about going to the polls on July the 14th, we want to encourage you to download an absentee ballot application at alabamavotes.gov or contact your local circuit clerk. Make sure you enclose a copy of your photo ID when you submit your application. We may not see you in person, but through absentee, we'll see you at the polls. Hey man, what are you doing today? Um, pleasant game. Thought I'd go out for a drive later maybe. Text some friends while I'm doing it. Scroll through social media. Kill a family four and a head on collision. Cool, man. Drive safe, Alabama. A message from your Alabama Department of Transportation. Welcome back to The V, the voice of Alabama politics. We're joined now by Chip Brownlee, APR reporter, and so much more. Oh, and Columbia graduate with a master's in journalism yes, this week. Yes, welcome, Chip. Hey, Chip. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, you, you've done a stellar job on the uh, keeping track of the numbers and breaking it down from people. It's interesting. Uh, over the last two weeks, we've heard from a ton of doctors who have, are relying on that information, mm -hmm. also business leaders. We want to appreciate, show their appreciation to you, express their appreciation to you for keeping those numbers so accurate. Uh, this week, Governor Kay Ivey announced more openings. Basically, the state now is open with few restrictions other than social distancing and those types of things. But the number of cases are rising, not going down, right, Chip? Yes, that, that's correct. Um, if you look back over the last week, I like to use seven and 14 day averages. So basically you average out the daily increase for each day and look at it over seven days and 14 days. And that gives you an idea of trends. And both of those trend lines are headed up, which is uh, the wrong direction. You spoke with a uh, public health officer, uh, Dr. Scott uh, Harris. Harris over the last week. And he agreed with you that we were headed in the wrong direction, but still we opened up more businesses this week. This is a this is a political decision. Uh, you know, I understand the, the ramification for the economy. It's only been a little less than two weeks since we did the first reopening. Is it still too early to see what that did, or can we get an idea of what that that reopening has done so far. Mm -hmm. Yes, so it takes about two weeks for any change in the policies to show up in the data. That's because you have an incubation period of the virus, which is about five days on average. Sometimes it's a little bit longer. And then you have to build in time for somebody to realize they, they need to go get a test. And then you have to build in time for them to get the test. And then you have to build in days for them to get their test results. And then after that, you have to build in time for that data to show up in, in the databases that the state uses. So it's that's about two weeks. And like you said, we're just now a little bit after two weeks since the first round of reopening. So we lifted some restrictions on April 30th. It's uh, now a little bit after, it's May 23rd, 24th. I don't even know what day it is anymore. COVID days are like years. <laughs> <laughs> I lost track of time in quarantine. But yeah, so we can, we're starting to see maybe some of the effect of lifting the first round on April 30th. Now, the last time we lifted restrictions was May 11th. Um, and 
we're still not to the point to where we can say that that's showing up in the data. So we right. lifted restrictions again without waiting long enough to see what effect that would have on the data. And Governor Ivey has said that she wanted to make decisions based on data, data-driven decisions, not date-driven decisions. Um, but like you said, I, I think some of this is, is political pressure for her to lift restrictions. And it's also, and it, it's a very, I, I don't want to diminish the economic aspect of this. No, no, no. It's a, it's a very valid concern about, um, you know, the, the unemployment rate came out today and it's, it's 12.9%, which is abysmal. Um, and that's, that's really awful. So I don't want to diminish the economic aspect of this. And I do think that she's trying to balance uh, economics and public health. I agree with you on that. I mean, and as Susan, as you well know from your counting days, these numbers, if it's 12, it's really a lot more. Than it that. is a lot more because we don't necessarily base those numbers on people that are actively on the rolls. We're, usually you get unemployment numbers from people who roll off the unemployment checks so that's it's kind of fuzzy about you know that's it's probably a lot worse and and for the moment people are getting their unemployment checks uh you know the 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 state's doing a good job with that one of the things that i uh, i'm continually concerned about is that there is this attitude chip that the numbers have been wrong all along that this is a big hoax. It's not. It's not even as bad as the flu. That more people die from drug overdoses. That and there's all these false assumptions based on modeling, and and they say, well, the numbers see the numbers are totally changed all the time, and therefore we can't trust anything. I think those are more excuses than anything else. But try to explain for us how the why the modeling changes and why. Modeling is a prediction and not not a solid fact. Yeah. Modeling is a projection of what may happen in the future. And so one or two days in the future, think of it, I think people should think of this like a weather forecast, okay? One or two days in the future for a weather forecast is likely to be pretty accurate. A week ahead, likely to be pretty accurate. Once you start getting out two weeks, two months, three months into the future, that modeling is very uncertain. And so when you have people looking, so the main model that everybody's been looking at is, is the IHME model out of the University of Washington. And it's a, it's a, I think it's a good model, but when people look at it, they don't take into account that there is this huge gap of uncertainty in that model, especially the further you get into the future, that gap of uncertainty gets wider. And the reason that uncertainty gets wider is because all of this, it's very hard to model a pandemic because it all depends on individual behavior and all of these policies that we're putting in place. And so that model, the average projection for that model changes a lot because individual behavior changes, cell phone mobility has been built into that model. Um, Better data, just like going through time, we get more data about deaths and cases and, and all of that's being built into the model. So those models are live projections and they change based on what's going on, just like a weather, forecast changes based on atmospherics and stuff like that. So those models have always been, you know, not questionable, but they've been uncertain into the future. And the modelers will tell you that straight up. It's to give you an idea of what could happen. And when behavior changes, they change. And that's the way it always been. We've got about 30 seconds. and, and, And one of the things I wanted to ask you, 
you look at deaths as well, but you also more look at hospitalization. So in about 20 seconds, why is looking at hospitalization important? Yeah, so with cases and with deaths, all of that is very not, so cases especially are hard, are delayed. Deaths are also a delayed indicator. So it takes weeks for somebody to get, get into the hospital and then unfortunately die. And so those numbers are, are probably reflections of weeks ago. Hospitalizations are much more current and they're not uh, affected so much by testing and the availability of testing. So most hospitalized people can get a test at this point. So the hospitalization numbers are more current and they are better reflective of the situation. Those numbers are also going up. Well, we want to thank you for all your hard work for APR and for the people of Alabama and you stay safe, okay? Thank you, y'all too. All right. You've been watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. Stay safe, be strong, and have hope. You watch us because we watch them.